Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Before we hop into this episode, it's important to acknowledge that being a new grad and a new worker can be really hard sometimes. It's not in your head. It really can be hard. And grad school just doesn't teach us everything that we need to know to be successful in the real world with our jobs. So in order to bridge that gap, we created the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist. This course will fast track you into honing those skills that you need to actually help your clients in an individual setting. It'll save you time when you're trying to figure out what the heck to document. It's going to increase your confidence in your abilities that you are doing this right and give you the tools that you need to be even more effective. And it's going to improve the professional quality of your notes so that when your colleagues and your coworkers read them, they say, wow, that's a really thorough, detailed note. I love it. Let's do this. And it provides clarity on how to help the person. So if this sounds like something you would benefit from, definitely check the link in the show notes for the clinical essentials for the future therapist. With that, let's hop into this episode. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. This week, we're talking with Alejandra Cortez, a fellow Los Angeles social worker. She is all things macro. She is so multifaceted. If you just go on her profile, you can see all of the different places that she works. She is such a gem. I'm so excited to have her on the episode. Let's hop into it. Hi, Alejandra. Hi. <laughs> How are you today? Good. How about you? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to have you on the Social Workers Rise podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> of course. Yes. I I will admit I have been Instagram stalking you for almost a year now. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. She's LA based. You're very macro oriented and the things that you share online. Like, I just love it. I love the whole vibe. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm wondering though, what originally got you into social work? Like, how did you know social work was what you wanted to do? Um. Well, it's kind of a long story, but to kind of make it short, so I always kind of knew I wanted to help people. Like, that was something that I knew I was very passionate about and didn't really know how. And so when I went into undergrad, um, I was 
trying to figure out like I was a biology major and it's just it just wasn't sitting and so I ended up taking a gang intervention class and so it was just a very for me interesting experience um, because I went to USC and so it's a very um, white institution there's not a lot of diversity in undergrad and so um, the professor was amazing it was a social work professor and he's talking about um, gangs in LA and just the culture of it and would always bring guest speakers and so one time he brought this like uh, he was like a detective and he's talking about different neighborhoods in LA and he's like well this neighborhood you probably never heard of it and then he said where I grew up and I was like oh I raised my hand awkwardly and I was like oh that's me <laughs> I, I live there and I grew up there and so like I knew that gangs are very prevalent prevalent in LA um, but I was like how how does this happen right there's like these inequalities and at the same time i was volunteering at this nonprofit called homeboy industries which also focuses on gang intervention and helping gang members kind of um, get jobs and things like that and i met someone that i was tutoring who grew up also in my neighborhood and i felt that that kind of aligned like it was like the aha moment where it was like i want to help and i want to give back to my community and so that kind of is what led me into social work um, my professor and just other journeys i took along the way to apply to grad school i love that <laughs> and i love homeboy industries if you have never heard of homeboy industries and father Boyle right yeah Greg Boyle yes yes definitely look them up they do some amazing work in Los Angeles um so I just have a question yeah as a summary (laughs) what what why do people get into gangs I have my own thoughts but I'd love to hear your thoughts um I think that's where my my macro focus comes into play right um you know a lot of it is just lack of resources and and structures in the communities and then in turn like gang members offer things that maybe those people need right um support um family they feel like they're part of a family and just because maybe they're coming from a family that is missing resources you know like single parent or like substance use or intergenerational trauma right and so they end up being part of this gang because they offer resources or or that support and so if we're doing more of that community healing focus that's what was attracted me to macro because I knew that that's where the solution was that's there's, interesting. Yeah. And it seems like there's overlap with human trafficking as well, because January is, is Human Trafficking Awareness Month. And I've heard the same stories from organizations who help um, people who are being trafficked that they are, they get into the lifestyle because they need the resources, they need the support, they want the love, they want the money, um, they want to feel you know, like they have, they have value and they have um, someone who will care for them. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting to hear the similarities. Yeah. So it's ultimately, it's like, you know, policy that impacts communities and and lack of resources that um, push people towards that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay. So have you, I guess kind of focusing on on this whole topic of gangs in your neighborhood did you feel 
scared growing up? Like, did you know that there were gang members in your neighborhood? Were you ever fearful? You know, I think just growing up, it's like, you know, there is, but there, like, it was just a part of it. I think if I can remember, like when I was younger, like I can remember there being like a drive-by by the school. Um, and like, I knew it was part of the culture, but it wasn't like something I was worried about. And I think, again, it's like, right, um, my home and my upbringing that like, you know, my parents were were kind of there, um, there was like communication, and I was just like a nerd. <laughs> so I was just like, really into school. So you know, and that's what made me reflect, right, of um, what is it? that I had different that maybe others didn't. And so that that way they can have those missing resources. Um, and, and even to this day, like if there's still that need and, and I experience it and it's conversations that I know we have as community partners that are involved of just that um, ways to help youth, especially in like prevention, right? To prevent them from joining gangs and then intervention, like once they're in the gang, like how can we support them? Mm-hmm. So have you done direct gang intervention or work on a community level around this? Um, so in, in just different areas, um, I think like officially I haven't had a title that works specifically in gang prevention intervention. The only thing I could remember that I did along those lines was um, Los Angeles has um, what it's called GRID, like it's like gang reduction youth development through the city of LA, like the mayor's office. And I did one summer, it was, they have like what's called summer night lights. And so what they do is like during the summer, there's like always an increase in in gang um, violence because you know, the, the sun is out longer and it's warm. And so what they do is that they open up parks for longer periods of time. And it's a partnership between the mayor's office, um, LAPD, and then just other community partners. And they'll have like different activities. So it was like coordinating like free food and activities and giveaways. And so um, it helped reduce crime in, in different neighborhoods because there was something positive to do. Um, and then in other capacities, just, just supporting community partners that do that work um, and just trying to allocate resources Yes, I remember, yeah, I remember seeing that when I was working and living in Long Beach, Compton area, Um, and actually, the kids loved it, like, they liked playing outside a little bit longer, and, and I remember they were just excited to have extra things to do during the summer, which kept them busy and engaged and doing something positive. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, So then, what... What are some activities that or ways that we can kind of step out of our clinical focus and get more involved on a macro level or a community change level? So a lot of our education is just on, on you know, interventions and how to help people therapeutically and cognitive behavioral therapy, like how... How would you recommend we step out of that bubble and branch out into more macro engagement to help our clients? Um, I, so I don't know if there's like a one 
answer solution to this. But the way I see it is just kind of what we do in treatment with clients is what we need to do on a macro level, right? Like right now at my job, like we, we're, I'm creating like this like program for youth. And so I, I go in as treatment, right? When you get a client, you do an assessment. And then I think about like discharge, right? What does this client need from me or what do they need to learn so that we can finish therapy and thrive, right? I'm very uh, like um, teaching and, and empowering them. And so the same thing is on a macro level, right? If it's a problem, we do the assessment and try to figure out ways to then problem solve what is happening. And so it can be intimidating, I think, just because we think macro directly policy, right? Like that's <laughs> like the pipeline that people think. And so that can be intimidating, but it can really just be even an organizational level, right? Or it can be as, more as a mezzo. So are we focusing just at a school or just neighborhood committees? Um, or even I think of, social media, right? That That's kind of like a meso macro because of the outreach and engagement that people are having. So I think it's just changing the narrative of what is macro and, and encouraging people not to box themselves. And that's what I keep telling people that once people are like, oh, I'm not macro, I'm very clinical. And then they just kind of block themselves with that mentality that they're not capable of doing macro work. But they have the skills. <laughs> to right. Do yeah. Right. Yeah. I I totally agree. And I feel like sometimes people use it as a crutch or as an excuse to just stay comfortable, stay in their own bubble, just stay, you know, right there in their office. However, we have the information that leaders really need in order to make smart policy decisions or smart decisions about how they run their schools, you know, anything like that to where if we, if we just, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like if we can just introduce ourselves to the leaders in the community or the leaders in the school and say, Hey, you know, this is what I do and I'm here to help. If anything ever comes up, you know, please call me or, you know, just try to be engaged into what's going on because the, laws and the rules and the way that things are run in our community they're going to directly affect our clients yeah and and that, and that and, can be hard like I, I know I, I mm -hmm. recognize that um, when I was working in, in a school setting like especially if you have a bigger caseload <laughs> it's hard right because you have to do the one-to-one -one and you have to be there for your clients and and it can feel a lot especially if there's a lot of need more in that meso macro but then it, it is making that time to work with the school because ultimately it will end up benefiting your clients, right? So for example, I can think of a situation that I was at one school and there was a lot of um, issues with teachers using the wrong pronouns, right? And so I was getting a lot of clients that, that that's triggering and, and also illegal. <laughs> so, and so it was talking to the school and, and providing that psychoeducation to teachers. So at least that solved that on a more macro level for other clients, that issue of teachers using the wrong pronouns um, to students. Um, so it, it's taking sometimes a little bit of time to do that or connect or identify champions set in the communities or schools to assist with that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's so powerful. It seems like once you do that, once you go, you know, kind of upstream, if you will, then it might take some, some work off your plate in that aspect, because now it's, it's not necessarily a quick fix, but at least you've educated the teachers and the, the people who are kind of causing the problems, if you will, yeah. um, to, to now those students who are no longer being triggered and no longer coming to you for, for help and support. Um, but even, even that particular subject that could be go even broader into society, culture and norms, um, which, you know, we're not going to fix that with, with a quick training, but there are little ways that we can do it and help. And I think that's a really great example of, of going and offering training or talking with those teachers individually. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So what are you doing right now as far as with your job? Um, so I, I wear multiple hats. So um, right now um, I'm a program administrator uh, with Children's Hospital Los Angeles and it's with their substance use prevention and treatment program. So Children's Hospital actually has a full like adolescent division. So we work with um, teens. And so I'm working a federal grant that is to kind of work with youth and help with substance use prevention, but utilizing like leadership skills to kind of then prevent substance use. So um, I love it because it's like a free range of kind of what I can do and, and visualize for this project. And so what we did was like, we do a survey and um, the youth are gonna design a campaign, a prevention campaign in their school and community. Um, but it's really right now focusing on program development and curriculum and, and working with youth. And so I always say I'm really blessed because I'm actually working in my direct community that I grew up in. So it's kind of full circle. <laughs> I love what I'm doing. Like this is what I went to school for and then working directly and impacting youth in my community. So I'm really just creating a leadership pipeline, right? Training these youth to be able to talk to their school administration, to politicians, to other community partners. So I do a lot of like working, it's two schools, and then work a lot with the community partners in the area to kind of identify other needs and, and share resources. So in a nutshell, that's like my, you would say my nine to five. And then I also do the social changers. So, you know, that's my social entrepreneurship, <laughs> where, um, you know, kind of what we were talking about our skill sets. So that was something I was very passionate about of highlighting how um, social workers have all these skills and these mis misconceptions, right, that we just snatch kids. So that's where I was like, no, we kind of need to redefine social work, like, and show others how we're capable of doing so much. And so it's been kind of highlighting that coaching others and just providing resources to kind of improves the journey along the way for other social workers so that they're able to thrive in whatever passions they want to do. So those are the two things I'm kind of working on right now. So it's very social worky, all the things. Yes, I love it. I love it. So how do you see the climate changing maybe in your in your schools or with the teens and then also in your own social entrepreneurship, how do you see the climate changing in 2021? Like what's going to be different going forward? Um, 
Well, hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so okay. a lot of it is, yeah, I mean, it, it's so hard. I think last year it was, I had just started my job when the pandemic hit. So it was a lot of transitioning virtual. And so a lot of it that we have done this year, or at least this semester has, how are we engaging youth virtually and creating group dynamics? Because these are kids that some of them haven't even met each other, but they show up every week to the meetings that we have because they enjoy it and they really like it. And so I think moving forward, depending how things look, is how are we continuing building those relationships and, and meeting their needs and really preparing them for the outside world once COVID is um, more controlled or if it's still under impacting their lives, how are they still supporting their communities and what they might need? So a lot of it is like, kind of going with the flow and and assessing a lot and that's kind of I have like interns that I supervise and and I think they realize that too that we're kind of playing it by ear as we go um so if it continues working well um our group will be growing and they'll be able to kind of launch their campaign but a lot of it is looking how it's working with schools virtually and, and being quick on our feet and and same with with um you know my business it's just how I am a very people person and I love networking in person and things like that so how are we still building community and supporting each other when there's a lot going on for everyone yes definitely definitely everything virtual and that is so amazing that the teens enjoy going to to your groups is it is a social support group that you're offering or no so it's a it's a leadership development so we're literally they're catering to them so uh, if I'm thinking macro I'm literally training them to be macro oriented so like for example a week ago I I sit a lot with them and assess and get feedback so I did a you know, a SWOT analysis, so strength, weakness, opportunities, and threats. And I taught them how to do it. And we did it. And we assessed how the program's going, what's working and what's not, and then moving forward. And I think they feel very empowered that, you know, the supervisor of the person that they're working with sits down on an equal level, and we have these conversations. And so I think that really helps them to kind of grow out of their shell. So even though we do talk about substance use prevention, they're really gaining all these skills so that when they graduate, or even still under school, they're, they're leaders. And so it's been amazing to see their growth from like, I guess, it's almost a year that we started with them to today what they're being able to do. So exciting. I feel like leadership is that skill that we all need, especially in times like these where things can change so fast and technology is constantly changing fast. We need those people with those skills to really be confident to to be able to say, hey, you know, there's a need that needs to be filled here. What can I do? How can we you know, fix this or make it better. I think Mm -hmm. it's so powerful. Yeah, I think it's my, my, my mentality. Also, I think it's with, with social work. It's like, we can't, one person can't solve it all, right? So we're, how are we planting the seeds so that others get inspired to do that positive change in their communities as well? Yes, definitely. So what do you have coming up for the social changer? Can you tell us? Um, so what am I have? <laughs> so I think for me, it, it's, I, I'm, I can be 100% honest, right? It goes up and down. Like, I think a lot of my juices are 
used at work <laughs> of like creating and, and developing. And so it's finding that balance. Uh, but what I have up coming up right now has been um, I'm having some resume resources that will be coming up. Um, so really focus on resume building is specifically for social workers. Um, again, it's back, tied back to that theme, right? That we do so much that sometimes we don't know how to highlight our skill set, especially when we're trying to transition to a, and I quote, air quote, right, non-traditional, right, uh, mm -hmm. setting, um, or settings that haven't been introduced to social workers, <laughs> more like it. And so that's something that um, I'm really working on to kind of share with everybody. And I have a little other um, resources of how we want to translate our skill sets and collaborate with people outside the field, which again, it's, it's um, pushing the pushing the profession outside of our social work bubble. And so um, I hope everybody follows along in that journey as I figure it out and we figure it out together how to really change that perception of social workers among social workers and, and beyond. Yes, I love that. Yeah, which I think that in of itself is where social work as an industry is going because every day I'm seeing social workers go into new roles where there hasn't traditionally been a social worker before. So the change is definitely coming and the narrative is slowly, like painfully slowly changing <laughs> that we are, you know, of course we're highly educated, but we have these skills that are so valuable, even in business, you know, for, I listen to, I'm on Clubhouse, so I listen to a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs and the things that they say bring them money are creating the relationships and just being authentic. Yeah. Which social Which workers do. Yeah. Do. <laughs> yeah. So, and then, so it's just, it seems like our industry is really at the forefront of, or I don't know if we're at the forefront, but we're starting to come around to expanding into new areas. Like we have a, a social worker in the NFL. We have a lot of social workers who are um, now in higher positions with the government, thanks mm -hmm. to our new president. Um, you know, we do have a lot of work to do still with diversifying, but um, it seems like we're making, we're making progress. Yes, definitely. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Alejandra. And where can people find you and keep in contact with you? Um, yeah, so definitely you can follow me at Instagram, the, at the social changer or the socialchanger.com to learn more about me or how we can work together. Love it. Thank you, Alejandra. I'll talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, this is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So 
please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.